Praise the Lord. That was good. Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 4. This month is Sex Trafficking Month for Prayer. And the last day of this month will be the Global Day of Prayer for Sex Trafficking, against Sex Trafficking. So it's really being brought to the forefront. It's something we need to be adding our prayers to. Appreciate you praying, Connie, about that. So about 150 years ago, there was a man named Rodney Smith. He was born in a tent in a gypsy village never attended a day of school. He became a believer in Jesus in 1876, and he was invited by General William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, to join him in his evangelistic efforts. He became known as Gypsy Smith. Have you heard that name? Yeah. He was one of the most effective evangelists in history. He was based in Great Britain, but he took more than 40 trips to the United States, South Africa, Australia, and other countries. His powerful preaching influenced the lives of millions of people. Smith would say this, there are five gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Christian. But most people will never read the first four. They read the fifth one, the Christian. So we're talking about, part of what we're talking about is putting on the new man and how important that is in our day and to walk in holiness, as Bill said. So we're going to start in verse 17 of chapter 4, Ephesians 4, 17. Reuben brought us up through verse 16 when he, when he last taught. Verse 17 says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. Remember, every time we see a therefore, we want to see what it's there for. What is he referring to? So uh, let me read the rest of the verse, and then we're going to look at what it's there for. I say, therefore, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. So with the word therefore, you can also say the phrase, Sorry, I lost my place. What is that phrase? For this reason, for this reason, I say you should no longer walk as the Gentiles. What is the reason? So he's referring up to verse 15, that we may grow up in all things into him, the head, Christ. He's referring to verse 13, that we come to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to the perfect man, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so in order to reach a place of Christian maturity, he goes on to say, verse 17, that you no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. The Gentiles, it's the word goyim, and if you live in, he, in Israel for any length of time, you, heard that, you hear that term a lot. They don't really refer to the Gentiles or the nations, they will refer to the Goyim. It's the Jew and the Goyim. But the Goyim is not just Gentile or nations. It also implies the heathen, the pagans. It's those that are outside the covenant of God. So Israel's the covenant people of God. Everyone else is the Goyim. But in the new covenant, we're also part of the covenant people of God. So we're not really Goyim anymore even though it also means nations, because we're not heathen or pagan. 
What we want to be careful is not to walk as the pagans do because we've been born again. We are new creatures in Christ. We are a whole new species. So we should not look, act, live, talk, believe, think like the goyim, like the pagans. And that's what he's addressing here. He says, uh, they walk in the futility of their mind. And the word futility in Greek means to have ceased to care, to have ceased to care, to be empty and without purpose. So Paul goes on to describe the traits of these that are without God, the pagans who live in futility, who have no purpose, who are empty, who have ceased to care. He describes the heathen in seven ways, and we see this in verses 18 and 19. He says, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardening of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to licentiousness, to work all greediness, all uncleanness with greediness. So the seven descriptions, um, I just kind of shortened them. He says, darkened understanding, alienation from God, ignorance of God's way, a hardened heart, which speaks of dulled spiritual perception, spiritual blindness, and general hardness, an unfeeling state, given to licentiousness, your version may say lewdness, they both mean to live openly in unbridled lust and unrestrained depravity with arrogance and contempt. And then lastly, all uncleanness with greediness. And I want to camp out just a little bit on this last one because the others I think we can all say, well, we really aren't seeing that in our personal lives or in other close believer friends we have. But greediness is a temptation that's especially prevalent in the Western church. And so I want to speak a little bit to that. Uh, greediness, covetousness, materialism, all of these harden the heart and they destroy the vibrant qualities of our lives. Greediness can lead to a strain from the faith. It says in 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. One of my good friends in South Africa when I uh, was a youth pastor there, and it was just a couple of years before I met Reuben and um, went to Israel with him after we got married. Um, I'll just say that <laughs> since we're talking about moral depravity. Um, so, uh, so I was a youth pastor. I was dating a youth pastor of another church, very alive, charismatic church that people from other denominations were visiting or attending because there was more life there. And, and he was a forefront youth leader in that church. He was also um, a dental, what do you call a specialist? You know, dental specialist. I'm looking at Joy because... He did orthodontist work. He also did, um, he did surgeries and all kinds of stuff. So there you go, oral surgeon. So one day I said to him, why don't you go into full-time ministry? And he said, I'm in full-time ministry. They're all my victims. They lay there, can't say a word, and I get to say everything I want to say to them. I preach to them. I share the gospel with them. I pray over them. I'm in full-time ministry. I just do youth work on the side, you know. But uh, greediness got a hold of this man, 
and uh, I didn't see it at the time, um, but I heard later, and I've, I've seen him since then. But he married a, another youth leader, and uh, together they were loving the Lord, serving the Lord in youth ministry. But greediness really drew him away from the faith, and now it's been a number of years that he does not attend church. He is uh, his own personal walk with God. If you spend time talking with him, you can tell you're not, he's not walking with the Lord. He owns a lot of property near Durban, uh, very expensive horses, and uh, had he had twin boys, and one is into Satanism, and the other one is also rebellious. And so, you know, I just think he, the greediness, the wealth, it just pulled him away from the faith. And his sister has attested to all that when she has shared with me the depth of what's gone on in their lives. And she said it was greediness. It was materialism. It pulled them away. And it's such a common temptation in our day. Money is a good slave, but a bad master. And wealth is to be used, enjoyed, shared, and given. I'm reading a book called um, Good or God by John Bevere. And I wrote down something I wanted to read to you, which now I've lost. I think Reuben and I must be married. Thank you. Thank you. Takes a village around here just to get the Rosses going. Okay. So John Bevere wrote this. As Christians, we often sub subconsciously think we aren't supposed to have too much. Yet does such thinking align with what the Word of God teaches Jesus says in Matthew 25, 29, this is the New Living Translation, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. God has no problem with abundance. What he is against is abundance possessing us. The truth is we need abundance to do larger and more effective work in building lives for God's kingdom. So I think it's important that we have the, the whole picture of how abundance or wealth fits into the kingdom of God. It is to be used. It is a gift of God, and it's to further God's kingdom. But we must make sure that we don't fall prey to the love of money and that pull us away from the faith. And then one more comment about that in Matthew 6, 24, if you want to hold your place there. It's a, it's a familiar passage. But I'd like to read it. Matthew 6, 24. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon in his day was money that people put their trust in. So you cannot serve Anything, whether it's money or anything in this world, any kind of idol, you can't serve God and serve that because they are they will each pull your devotion. And so our devotion needs to be to the Lord, of course, as you well know. So at that point, when we abandon our wholehearted, loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, and we're loving wealth or we're loving material things, or we're loving possessions then we, we are then entering into idolatry, and we need to be very careful about that. Let's go back to Ephesians 4. Let's read verses 20 and 21. 
but you've not so learned Christ. So he's talking about these are the descriptions of the pagans, the heathen, but this is not what Jesus is like. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So Jesus Christ is the opposite of what Paul described in verses 17 through 19. So what are the opposites? Jesus lived with purpose. He had clear understanding of God's word, of people, and of his mission to them. Jesus was full and overflowing of the life of God. He knew God's ways of righteousness and truth. He had a soft heart toward people. He was uh, spiritually perceptive. Jesus was compassionate. He was moved by the afflictions and the needs of man. He was holy, humble, and pure. Jesus was the opposite of greedy. He is a generous giver. He holds nothing back. He gave up everything, even his own life for us. So you can see a sharp contrast between the pagans and the Lord Jesus. In verse 20, 21 and 22, it's, I'm going to read 21 again. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct to the old man, which grows corrupt. That means gets more and more corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Put off your ways of living that lead to more corruption and more lust. Verse 23 and 24, uh, just read 23. I'm not going to read it again. 24. No, I didn't read 23. Man, help me, Jesus. I need help today. Okay. <laughs> Let me pick up the last part of 22. The old man, we're to put that off. It grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which is created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. So hold your place there and go to Romans 12. Romans 12, we're just going to look at verse 2 and I know probably most of you can quote it. Romans 12, verse 2, this ties in with uh, being renewed in the spirit of your mind. He says, verse 2, Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is key for our transformation. Our minds have to be renewed. We have to think differently. We have to understand differently. We have to perceive differently. And that all comes through the word. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect, that will of God. We need to be careful not to adopt the attitudes, the perspectives, and the values of our culture without judging them by God's word. So we all have our own culture, the households we grew up in, the cultures that were may be superimposed on us by the education we received. We have our Texas culture. We have family culture. We have our American culture. We need to make sure that the world, the cultures of our worlds, don't squeeze us into their mold, but that our lives are shaped by the Word of God. It's when we're in the Word and it's when we're in God's presence that our minds are renewed and destructive thought patterns are replaced with godly thought patterns. You know, when, when God says in Isaiah 58, where he says, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so higher my ways than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And 
One day I was meditating on that, and I, I felt I heard the Lord say, I was not just speaking fact. I was lamenting that fact. My ways aren't your ways. How much I wish your ways were like my ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. I so wish your thoughts were my, like my thoughts. My ways and thoughts are so much higher, but I wish you would come up to where I am. I wish you would see from my perspective. Don't continue to think like the world. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Be in the mold of the one who created us in true holiness and righteousness. The Bible is our standard and it is our plumb line. And we measure everything against the scriptures. We renew our minds. We refresh them. We realign them as we are in the scriptures and in the presence of God. Even in a time of just worship. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. You're in deep worship, whether it's corporate or private. And suddenly you're in a whole different place with the Lord. And you're beginning to see from his perspective. There is an alignment of our heart with his heart when we're in his presence. Our mind with his mind. Our spirit with his spirit. And how desperately we need that as the world presses us on every side. We need times in the presence of God. So he says at the end of verse 24 back in Ephesians 4, Put on the new man that was created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. Holiness is not an option. We are called to holiness. Turn with me to 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1, we're going to read verses 13 through 16. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. That means think clearly, think sharply, be alert, prepare yourself, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, be alert. Again, the word sober can be translated both ways. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, not like the pagans, not like the heathen, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. To be holy is to belong exclusively to the Lord. It's being dedicated to sacred purposes, to be morally pure, separate from everything that is profane and defiling and dedicated to everything that is righteous. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. He says, You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen generation, verse 9, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now let's go to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, reading verses 26 and 27. It says, Jesus 
um, comparing husbands loving the church as husbands loving their wives as Jesus loved the church. That's in verse 25. Gave himself for the church, verse 26, that he might sanctify it, cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. There again, the importance of the word of God, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Jesus is returning for a glorious, holy, and blameless church. I've heard so many people in the last week say, man, I think Jesus is coming any minute. And I would like for him to come any minute. But you know, the church isn't ready. We're not holy and blameless and impure before him yet. So there is a way, there's a scripture that says we hasten the day of the Lord. We can actually bring it closer by our lives. If we will walk in holiness, if we will walk blameless before him. But the Lord's bride, well, the point I want to make here is the Lord's bride is not identified as being relevant, as important as it is to be relevant as the church. It's not identified as being organized or leadership driven, powerful or even worshipful. Those are great traits, but the predominant characteristic Jesus wants in his bride is holiness, to be sacred, to be set apart. So how do we live holy lives? According to 1 Peter 1.13 that we just read, it's by grace. Grace isn't just about our being saved from our sins and forgiven. Grace also empowers us to live righteously. It gives us the ability to go beyond our natural ability. We don't have the ability to live holy lives in and of ourselves, but grace enables us to. So how do we get grace? Well, humility is the prerequisite for grace. We see that in 1 Peter 5, 5. God resists the humble. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It starts out saying, humble yourselves to one another. Younger people, humble yourselves before submit to older people. All of you be submissive to one another because God gives grace to the humble. So that's a prerequisite for grace. We can also ask boldly for grace. Let's read that in Hebrews 4. It's just good to be washed in the word this morning. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tested and tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we can come boldly and humbly before the throne of grace. We can boldly ask, but we ask in an attitude of humility. 2 Corinthians 12, let's read that. Also a supportive scripture for this. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. And he said to me, this is Jesus speaking to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am strong. So Jesus said to Paul, my grace is all you need for my power works best. It is perfected in your weakness, in your frailty. The Lord refers to his grace as his empowerment. And so he's saying, my grace is your empowerment. And it works best in situations that are beyond your ability. So God calls us to be holy, to be set apart by God for God. And to walk that out, we need a lot of grace. So let's ask for it. And let's humble ourselves before the Lord and before man in order to receive grace. Let's grow up in all things into Christ Jesus, reflecting back on Ephesians 4. So I want to close by praying for grace for us and for the opposites of Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. So if you would uh, pray with me. Lord, I first want to thank you for your scriptures, for giving us the written word, for also speaking to us your word, for speaking your word into our hearts, our spirits, our minds, for bathing us in scriptures as we sit before you every day and as we gather together. Thank you for what your word has shown us this morning, the clarity of your word. Lord, we receive it with meekness. We receive the engrafted word that it would be implanted in our hearts, not stolen from the enemy, but it would bear lasting fruit. And Father God, I pray that we would all live with purpose. We would not live futile lives. I pray that our understanding would be enlightened and that we would know your word and your will. I pray we'll be filled with and overflow with your life that we would know your ways of righteousness and truth. May we have soft hearts and be spiritually perceptive. Lord, would you increase your compassion in us so that we are not moved by the afflictions and needs, so that we are moved, deeply moved by the afflictions and the needs of others. Lord, I pray you would enable us to see beyond our walls, the walls of our families, of our city, of our state, of our nation, that we would be moved by those who are suffering all around the world, those that are suffering on our borders, those that are suffering in other nations, those that are suffering in prison cells even today. Lord, may we be humble, holy, and pure. May we have pure hearts so that we can see you without filters, so that we know who you really are. Lord, we repent of all greediness, of any place materialism has a place in our hearts and lives. We repent of that today. We ask you to uproot it from us. And Lord, we choose to be generous just like you. Would you give us opportunities to do that and to help us recognize those opportunities? Jesus, would you please walk tall in us? Would you love through us? Would you speak through us? Would you touch through us? Would you listen through our ears and see through our eyes? Lord, as we put on your righteousness, we also ask that we would put you on and that you would live and walk in us. 
Lord, I ask for your grace to be perfected in our weaknesses. We choose to put off the old nature, the old man, the carnal man. And we choose to put on the new nature in Jesus that is based in holiness and righteousness. May we grow up into all things in Jesus Christ. And I pray all this in your name, Jesus, and for your glory. Amen. Amen.